Section 1. Pamela, or Virtue Rewarded. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boyer. Pamela, or Virtue Rewarded, by Samuel Richardson. Section 1. Publisher's Note. Samuel Richardson, the first in order of time of the great English novelists, was born in 1689 and died in London in 1761. He was a printer by trade and rose to be master of the stationer's company. That he also became a novelist was due to his skill as a letter writer, which brought him, in his fiftieth year, a commission to write a volume of model familiar letters as an aid to persons too illiterate to compose their own. The notion of connecting these letters by a story which had interested him suggested the plot of Pamela and determined its epistolary form, a form which was retained in his later works. This novel, published 1740, created an epoch in the history of English fiction, and with its successors exerted a wide influence upon continental literature. It is appropriately included in a series which is designed to form a group of studies of English life by the masters of English fiction, for it marked the transition from the novel of adventure to the novel of character, from the narration of entertaining events to the study of men and of manners, of motives and of sentiments. In it the romantic interest of the story, which is of the slightest, is subordinated to the moral interest in the conduct of its characters in the various situations in which they are placed. Upon this aspect of the drama of human life, Richardson cast a most observant, if not always, a penetrating glance. His works are an almost microscopically detailed picture of English domestic life in the early part of the 18th century. Pamela, or Virtue Rewarded Letter 1 Dear Father and Mother, I have great trouble and some comfort to acquaint you with. The trouble is that my good lady died of the illness I mentioned to you, and left us all much grieved for the loss of her, for she was a dear good lady and kind to all us her servants. Much I feared that as I was taken by her ladyship to wait upon her person, I should be quite destitute again, and forced to return to you and my poor mother, who have enough to do to maintain yourselves. And as my lady's goodness had put me to write and cast accounts, and made me a little expert in my needle, and otherwise qualified above my degree, it was not every family that could have found a place that your poor Pamela was fit for. But God, whose graciousness to us we have so often experienced at a pinch, put it into my good lady's heart on her deathbed, just an hour before she expired, to recommend to my young master all her servants, one by one. And when it came to my turn to be recommended, for I was sobbing and crying at her pillow, she could only say, My dear son, and so broke off a little, and then recovering, Remember my poor Pamela. And these were some of her last words. Oh, how my eyes run! Don't wonder to see the paper so blotted. 
Well, but God's will must be done, and so comes the comfort that I shall not be obliged to return back to be a clog upon my dear parents. For my master said, I will take care of you all, my good maidens, and for you, Pamela, and took me by the hand. Yes, he took my hand before them all. For my dear mother's sake I will be a friend to you, and you shall take care of my linen. God bless him, and pray with me, dear father and mother, for a blessing upon him, for he has given mourning and a year's wages to all my lady's servants. And I having no wages as yet, my lady having said she should do for me as I deserved, ordered the housekeeper to give me mourning with the rest, and gave me, with his own hand, four golden guineas, and some silver, which were in my old lady's pocket when she died, and said, if I was a good girl, and faithful and diligent, he would be a friend to me for his mother's sake. And so I send you these four guineas for your comfort, for Providence would not let me want, and so you may pay some old debt with part, and give the other part to comfort you both. If I get more, I am sure it is my duty, and it shall be my care, to love and cherish you both, for you have loved and cherished me, when I could do nothing for myself. I send them by John, our footman, who goes your way, but he does not know what he carries, because I seal them up in one of the little pill-boxes which my lady had, wrapped close in paper, that they mayn't clink, and be sure don't open it before him. I know, dear father and mother, I must give you both grief and pleasure, and so I will only say, pray for your Pamela, who will ever be your most dutiful daughter. I have been scared out of my senses, for just now as I was folding up this letter in my late lady's dressing-room, in comes my young master. Good sirs, how I was frightened. I went to hide the letter in my bosom, and he, seeing me tremble, said, smiling, To whom have you been writing, Pamela? I said in my confusion, Pray your honour forgive me, only to my father and mother. He said, Well then, let me see how you'll come on in your writing. Oh, how ashamed I was! He took it, without saying more, and read it quite through, and then gave it to me again. And I said, Pray your honour forgive me. Yet I know not for what, or he was always dutiful to his parents, and why should he be angry that I was so to mine? And indeed he was not angry, for he took me by the hand, and said, You are a good girl, Pamela, to be kind to your aged father and mother. I am not angry with you for writing such innocent matters as these, though you ought to be wary of what tales you send out of a family. Be faithful and diligent, and do as you should do, and I like you the better for this. And then he said, My Pamela, you write a very pretty hand and spell tolerably, too. I see my good mother's care in your learning has not been thrown away upon you. She used to say you loved reading. You may look into any of her books to improve yourself, so you take care of them. To be sure, I did nothing but curtsy and cry, and was all in confusion at his goodness. Indeed, he is the best of gentlemen, I think. But I am making another long letter, so will only add to it that I shall ever be. Your dutiful daughter, Pamela Andrews. Letter 2. In answer to the preceding. Dear Pamela, your letter was indeed a great trouble, and some comfort, 
to me and to your poor mother. We are troubled, to be sure, for your good lady's death, who took such care of you, and gave you learning, and, through three or four years past, has always been giving you clothes and linen, and everything that a gentlewoman need not be ashamed to appear in. But our chief trouble is, and indeed a very great one, for fear you should be brought to anything dishonest or wicked, by being set so above yourself. Everybody talks how you have come on, and what a genteel girl you are, and some say you are very pretty, and indeed six months since, when I saw you last, I should have thought so myself, if you was not our child. But what avails all this if you are to be ruined and undone? Indeed, my dear Pamela, we begin to be in great fear for you. For what signify all the riches in the world with a bad conscience, and to be dishonest? We are, tis true, very poor, and find it hard enough to live, though once, as you know, it was better with us. But we would sooner live upon the water, and if possible the clay of the ditches I contentedly dig, than live better at the price of our child's ruin. I hope the good squire has no design, but when he has given you so much money, and speaks so kindly to you, and praises your coming on, and oh that fatal word that he would be kind to you, if you would do as you should do, almost kills us with fears. I have spoken to good old widow Mumford about it, who you know has formerly lived in good families, and she puts us in some comfort, for she says it is not unusual, when a lady dies, to give what she has about her person to her waiting maid, and to such as sit up with her in her illness. But then, why should he smile so kindly upon you? Why should he take such a poor girl as you by the hand, as your letter says he has done twice? Why should he stoop to read your letter to us, and commend your writing and spelling? And why should he give you leave to read his mother's books? Indeed, indeed, my dearest child, our hearts ache for you, and then you seem so full of joy at his goodness, so taken with his kind expressions, which truly are great favors, if he means well, that we fear, yes, my dear child, we fear, you should be too grateful, and reward him with that jewel, your virtue, which no riches, nor favor, nor anything in this life can make up to you. I too have written a long letter, but will say one thing more, and that is, that in the midst of our poverty and misfortunes, we have trusted in God's goodness, and have been honest, and doubt not to be happy hereafter, if we continue to be good, though our lot is hard here. But the loss of our dear child's virtue would be a grief that we could not bear, and would bring our gray hairs to the grave at once. If then you love us, if you wish for God's blessing in your own future happiness, we both charge you to stand upon your guard. And if you find the least attempt made upon your virtue, be sure you leave everything behind you, and come away to us. For if we had rather see you all covered with rags, and even follow you to the churchyard, than have it said, a child of ours preferred any worldly conveniences to her virtue. We accept kindly your dutiful present, but, till we are out of pain, cannot make use of it, for fear we should partake of the price of our poor daughter's shame. 
so I have laid it up in a rag among the thatch, over the window for a while, lest we should be robbed. With our blessings, and our hearty prayers for you, we remain your careful but loving father and mother, John and Elizabeth Andrews. Letter 3 Dear Father, I must needs say your letter has filled me with trouble, for it has made my heart, which was overflowing with gratitude for my master's goodness, suspicious and fearful, and yet I hope I shall never find him to act unworthy of his character. For what could he get by ruining such a poor young creature as me? But that which gives us most trouble is that you seem to mistrust the honesty of your child. No, my dear father and mother, be assured that by God's grace I will never do anything that shall bring your gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. I will die a thousand deaths, rather than be dishonest any way. Of that be assured, and set your hearts at rest, for although I have lived above myself for some time past, yet I can be content with rags and poverty, and bread and water, and will embrace them rather than forfeit my good name. Let who will be the tempter. And of this pray, rest satisfied, and think better of your dutiful daughter till death. My master continues to be very affable to me. As yet I see no cause to fear anything. Mrs. Jervis, the housekeeper, too, is very civil to me. And I have the love of everybody. Sure they can't all have designs against me, because they are civil. I hope I shall always behave so as to be respected by every one, and that nobody would do me more hurt than I am sure I would do to them. Our John oh, so often goes your way, that I will always get him to call, that you may hear from me, either by writing, for it brings my hand in, or by word of mouth. Letter 4 Dear Mother, For the last was to my father in answer to his letter, and so I will now write to you, though I have nothing to say but what will make me look more like a vain hussy than anything else. However, I hope I shan't be so proud as to forget myself. Yet there is a secret pleasure one has to hear oneself praised. You must know, then, that my Lady Davers, who I need not tell you is my master's sister, has been a month at our house, and has taken great notice of me, and given me good advice to keep myself to myself. She told me I was a pretty wench, and that everybody gave me very good character and loved me, and bid me take care to keep the fellows at a distance, and said that I might do and be more valued for it, even by themselves. But what pleased me much was, what I am going to tell you, for at table, as Mrs. Jervis says, my master and her ladyship talking of me. She told him she thought me the prettiest wench she ever saw in her life, and that I was too pretty to live in a bachelor's house, since no lady he might marry would care to continue me with her. He said I was vastly improved, and had a good share of prudence, and sense above my years, and that it would be pity that what was my merit should be my misfortune. No, says my good lady, Pamela shall come and live with me, I think. He said, with all his heart, 
he should be glad to have me so well provided for. Well, said she, I'll consult my lord about it. She asked how old I was, and Mrs. Jervis said, I was fifteen last February. Oh, says she, if the wench, for so she calls all us maiden servants, takes care of herself, she'll improve yet more and more, as well in her person as mind. Now, my dear father and mother, though this may look too vain to be repeated by me, yet are you not rejoiced, as well as I, to see my master so willing to part with me? This shows that he has nothing bad in his heart. But John is just going away, and so I have only to say that I am, and will always be, your honest as well as dutiful daughter. Pray make use of the money. You may now do it safely. Letter 5 My dear father and mother, John being to go your way, I am willing to write, because he is so willing to carry anything for me. He says it does him good at his heart to see you both, and to hear you talk. He says you are both so sensible, and so honest, that he always learns something from you to the purpose. It is a thousand pities, he says, that such worthy hearts should not have better luck in the world, and wonders that you, my father, who are so well able to teach, and write so good a hand, succeeded no better in the school you attempted to set up, but was forced to go to such hard labor. But this is more pride to me that I am come of such honest parents than if I had been born a lady. I hear nothing yet of going to Milady Davers. I am very easy at present here, for Mrs. Jervis uses me as if I were her own daughter, and is a very good woman, and makes my master's interest her own. She's always giving me good counsel, and I love her next to you two, I think, best of anybody. She keeps so good rule and order she's mightily respected by us all, and takes delight to hear me read to her, and all she loves to hear read is good books, which we read whenever we are alone, so that I think I am at home with you. She heard one of our men, Harry, who is no better than he should be, speak freely to me. I think he called me his pretty Pamela, and took hold of me as if he had kissed me for which you may be sure I was very angry. And she took him to task, and was as angry with him as could be, and told me she was very well pleased to see my prudence and modesty, and that I kept all the fellows at a distance. And indeed I am sure I am not proud, and carry it civilly to everybody. But yet methinks I cannot bear to be looked upon by these men-servants, for they seem as if they would look one through and as I generally breakfast, dine, and sup with Mrs. Jervis, so good she is to me, I am very easy that I have so little to say to them. Not but they are civil to me in the main, for Mrs. Jervis's sake, who they see loves me. And they stand in awe of her, knowing her to be a gentlewoman born, though she has had misfortunes. I am going out again with a long letter, for I love writing and shall tire you. But when I began, I only intended to say that I am quite fearless of any danger now, and indeed cannot but wonder at myself, though your caution to me was your watchful love, that I should be so foolish as to be so uneasy as I have been, for I am sure my master would not demean himself so as to think upon such a poor girl as I for my harm. For such a thing would ruin his credit as well as mine, you know who, to be sure, may expect one of the best ladies in the land. 
so no more at present, but that I am your ever dutiful daughter. Letter six. Dear father and mother, my master has been very kind since my last, for he has given me a suit for my lady, lady's clothes, and half a dozen of her shifts, and six fine handkerchiefs, and three of her cambric aprons, and four holland ones. The clothes are fine silk, and too rich and too good for me, to be sure. I wish it was no affront to him to make money of them, and send it to you. It would do me more good. You will be full of fears, I warrant now, of some design upon me, till I tell you that he was with Mrs. Jervis when he gave them me. And he gave her a mort of good things at the same time, and bid her wear them in remembrance of her good friend, my lady, his mother. And when he gave me these fine things, he said, These, Pamela, are for you. Have them made fit for you, when your mourning is laid to buy, and wear them for your good mistress's sake. Mrs. Jervis gives you a very good word, and I would have you continue to behave as prudently as you have done hitherto, and everybody will be your friend. I was so surprised at his goodness that I could not tell what to say. I curtsied to him, and to Mrs. Jervis for her good word, and said I wished I might be deserving of his favor and her kindness, and nothing should be wanting in me to the best of my knowledge. Oh, how amiable a thing is doing good! It is all I envy great folks for. I always thought my young master a fine gentleman, as everybody says he is. But he gave these good things to us both with such a graciousness, as I thought he looked like an angel. Mrs. Jervis says, he asked her, if I kept the men at a distance. For, he said, I was very pretty, and to be drawn in to have any of them might be my ruin, and make me poor and miserable betimes. She never is wanting to give me a good word, and took occasion to launch out in my praise, she says. But I hope she has said no more than I shall try to deserve, though I mayn't at present. I'm sure I will always love her next to you and my dear mother. So I rest, your ever-dutiful daughter. Letter 7 Dear Father, Since my last, my master gave me more fine things. He called me up to my late lady's closet, and pulling out her drawers, he gave me two suits of fine Flanders laced head clothes, three pair of fine silk shoes, two hardly the worse, and just fit for me, for my lady had a very little foot, and the other with wrought silver buckles in them, and several ribbons and top-knots of all colors, four pair of white fine cotton stockings, and three pair of fine silk ones and two pair of rich stays. I was quite astonished, and unable to speak for a while. But yet I was inwardly ashamed to take the stockings, for Mrs. Jervis was not there. If she had, it would have been nothing. I believe I received them very awkwardly, for he smiled at my awkwardness, and said, Don't blush, Pamela. Dost think I don't know pretty maids should wear shoes and stockings? I was so confounded at these words, you might have beat me down with a feather. For you must think there was no answer to be made to this. So, like a fool, I was ready to cry, and went away curtsying and blushing, I'm sure, up to the ears. For there there was no harm in what he said, yet I did not know how to take it. But I went and told all to Mrs. Jervis, who said, God put it into his heart to be good to me, and I must double my diligence. 
It looked to her, she said, as if he would fit me in a dress for a waiting maid's place, a Lady Davers' own person. But still your kind fatherly cautions came into my head, and made all these gifts nothing near to me than what they would have been. But yet, I hope, there is no reason. For what good could it do to him to harm such a simple maiden as me? Besides, to be sure, no lady will look upon him if he should so disgrace himself. So I will make myself easy, and indeed I should never have been otherwise if you had not put it into my head. For my good, I know it very well. But maybe, without these uneasinesses to mingle with these benefits, I might be too much puffed up. So I will conclude, all that happens is for our good, and God bless you, dear father and mother, and I know you constantly pray for a blessing upon me, who am, and shall always be, your dutiful daughter. Letter 8 Dear Pamela, I cannot but renew my cautions on your master's kindness and his free expression to you about the stockings. Yet there may not be, and I hope there is not, anything in it. But when I reflect that there possibly may, and that if there should, no less depends upon it than my child's everlasting happiness in this world and the next, it is enough to make one fearful for you. Arm yourself, my dear child, for the worse and resolve to lose your life sooner than your virtue. What though the doubts I filled you with lessen the pleasure you would have had in your master's kindness? Yet what signify the delights that arise from a few paltry fine clothes, in a comparison with a good conscience? These are indeed great, very great favors that he heaps upon you, but so much the more to be suspected, and when you say he looks so amiably, and like an angel, how afraid I am! they should make too great an impression upon you. For though you are blessed with sense and prudence above your years, yet I tremble to think what a sad hazard a poor maiden of a little more than fifteen years of age stands against the temptations of this world and a designing young gentleman, if he should prove so, who has so much power to oblige and has a kind of authority to command as your master." I charge you, my dear child, on both our blessings, poor as we are, to be on your guard. There can be no harm in that. And since Mrs. Jervis is so good a gentlewoman, and so kind to you, I am the easier a great deal, and so is your mother, and we hope you will hide nothing from her, and take her counsel in everything. So with our blessings and assured prayers for you, more than for ourselves, we remain your loving father and mother. Be sure don't let people's telling you you're pretty puff you up, for you did not make yourself, and can have no praise due to you for it. It is virtue and goodness only that make the true beauty. Remember that, Pamela. Letter 9 Dear Father and Mother, I am sorry to write you word that hopes I had of going to wait on Lady Davers are quite over. My lady would have had me, but my master, as I heard by the by, would not consent to it. He said her nephew might be taken with me, and I might draw him in or be drawn in by him, and he thought, as his mother loved me, and committed me to his care, he ought to continue me with him, and Mrs. Jervis would be a mother to me. Mrs. Jervis tells me the lady shook her head and said, Ah, brother, and that was all. And as you have made me fearful by your cautions, 
my heart at times misgives me. But I say nothing yet of your caution or my own uneasiness to Mrs. Jervis. Not that I mistrust her, but for fear she should think me presumptuous, and vain, and conceited, to have any fears about the matter, from the great distance between such a gentleman and so poor a girl. But yet Mrs. Jervis seems to build something upon Lady Davers shaking her head, and saying, Ah, brother, and no more. God, I hope, will give me his grace, and so I will not, if I can help it, make myself too uneasy, for I hope there is no occasion. But every little matter that happens I will acquaint you with, that you may continue to me your good advice, and pray for your sad-hearted Pamela. Letter 10 Dear Mother, You and my good father may wonder you have not had a letter from me in so many weeks but a sad, sad scene has been the occasion of it. For, to be sure, now it is too plain that all your cautions were well grounded. Oh, my dear mother, I am miserable, truly miserable. But yet, don't be frightened, I am honest. God of his goodness, keep me so. Oh, this angel of a master, this fine gentleman, this gracious benefactor to your poor Pamela, who was to take care of me at the prayer of his good dying mother, who was so apprehensive for me, lest I should be drawn in by Lord Davers' nephew, that he would not let me go to Lady Davers. This very gentleman, yes, I must call him gentleman, though he has fallen from the merit of that title, has degraded himself to offer freedoms to his poor servant. He has now showed himself in his true colors, and to me nothing appears so black and so frightful. I have not been idle, but had writ from time to time how he, by sly mean degrees, exposed his wicked views, but somebody stole my letter, and I know not what has become of it. It was a very long one. I fear that he that was mean enough to do bad things, in one respect, did not stick at this. But be as it will, all the use he can make of it will be that he may be ashamed of his part, I not of mine for he will see I was resolved to be virtuous, and gloried in the honesty of my poor parents. I will tell you all the next opportunity, for I am watched very narrowly, and he says to Mrs. Jervis, This girl is always scribbling, I think she may be better employed. And yet I work all hours with my needle upon his linen, and the fine linen of the family, and am besides about flowering him a waistcoat. But, oh, my heart's broke almost, for what am I likely to have for my reward, but shame and disgrace, or else ill words and hard treatment? I'll tell you all soon, and hope I shall find my long letter, your most afflicted daughter. Maybe I he and him too much, but it is his own fault if I do, for why did he lose all his dignity with me? Letter 11 Dear Mother, well, I can't find my letter, and so I'll try to recollect it all, and be as brief as I can. All went well enough in the main for some time after my letter but one. At last I saw some, some reason to suspect, for he would look upon me, whenever he saw me, in such a manner as showed not well. And one day he came to me as I was in the summer-house in the little garden, at work with my needle, and Mrs. Jervis was just gone from me and I would have gone out, but he said, No, don't go, Pamela. 
I have something to say to you, and you will always fly me when I come near you as if you are afraid of me. I was much out of countenance, you may well think, but at last said, It does not become your good servant to stay in your presence, sir, without your business required it, and I hope I shall always know my place. Well, says he, my business does require it some time, and I have a mind you should stay to hear what I have to say to you. I stood still confounded and began to tremble, and the more when he took me by the hand, for now no soul was near us. My sister Davers, said he, and seemed, I thought, to be as much at a loss for words as I, would have had you live with her, for she would not do for you what I am resolved to do, if you continue faithful and obliging. What sayest thou, my girl, said he, with some eagerness, hast thou not rather stay with me than go to my sister Davers? He looked so, as filled me with affrightment, I don't know why, wildly, I thought. I said, when I could speak, your honour will forgive me, but as you have no lady for me to wait upon, and my good lady has been now dead this twelve months, I had rather wait upon Lady Davers, because— I was proceeding, and he said a little hastily, Because you are a little fool, and know not what's good for yourself, I tell you I will make a gentlewoman of you, if you be obliging, and don't stand in your own light. And so saying, he put his arm around me, and kissed me. Now you will sell all his wickedness appeared plainly. I struggled and trembled, and was so benumb with terror, and I sunk down, not in a fit, and yet not myself. And I found myself in his arms, quite void of strength, and he kissed me two or three times with frightful eagerness. At last I burst from him and was getting out of the summer-house, but he held me back and shut the door. I would have given my life for a farthing, and he said, I'll do you no harm, Pamela. Don't be afraid of me. I said, I won't stay. You won't, hussy, said he. Do you know whom you speak to? I lost all fear and all respect, and said, Yes, I do, sir, too well. Well, may I forget I am your servant when you forget what belongs to a master. I sobbed and cried most sadly. What a foolish hussy you are, said he. Have I done you any harm? Yes, sir, said I, the greatest harm in the world. You have taught me to forget myself and what belongs to me, and have lessened the distance that fortune has made between us by demeaning yourself to be so free to a poor servant. Yet, sir, I will be bold to say I am honest, though poor, and if you was a prince I would not be otherwise. He was angry and said, Who would have you otherwise, you foolish slut? Cease your blubbering. I own I have demeaned myself, but it was only to try you. If you can keep this matter secret, you'll give me the better opinion of your prudence. And here's something, said he, putting some gold in my hand, to make you amends for the fright I put you in. Go, take a walk in the garden, and don't go then until your blubbering is over, and I charge you say nothing of what is past, and all shall be well, and I'll forgive you. I won't take the money, indeed, sir, said I, Poor as I am, I won't take it, for to say truth, I thought it looked like taking earnest, and so I put it upon the bench, and as he seemed vexed and confused at what he had done, I took the opportunity to open the door, and went out of the summer-house. He called to me and said, Be secret, I charge you, Pamela, and don't go in yet, as I told you. 
oh how poor and mean must those actions be and how little must they make the best of gentlemen look when they offer such things as are unworthy in themselves and put it into the power of their inferiors to be greater than they i took a turn or two in the garden but inside of the house for fear of the worst and breathed upon my hand to dry my eyes because i would not be too disobedient my next shall tell you more pray for me my dear father and mother and don't be angry i have not yet run away from this house so late my comfort and delight but now my terror and anguish i am forced to break off hastily your dutiful and honest daughter End of section 1